What's up, everyone? Welcome to this episode of Note to Scene. Today, we got a deep dive on the nightmare of Is Anyone Up and how the scene propped the entire thing up. First off, I know it's been a while, but before we get into anything, I want to say that this is unfortunately going to be the final episode for this era of Note to Scene. I know I'll explain everything at the end of the episode. In the meantime, you can still join the official Note to Scene Facebook group. And if you have any comments or questions, still feel free to email me at notetoscene at gmail.com. All right, so let's dive in to this dive. It's a long one. It took me forever to put together. And then we'll unpack everything else about the show. So I've been working on this episode for weeks, and I honestly still don't even know where to begin with Hunter Moore and Is Anyone Up? I've been doing these deep dives for a little over a year now. Every one of them has been structured around a story that I already knew, either just from watching the scene for years and then reading up on things that I wasn't around for. That being said, I've learned a lot that I didn't know while doing the show. Every episode, I come across at least a few things that I hadn't known before. But for this episode, I mean, I wasn't around for Is Anyone Up? I was still just a naive 14 to 15 year old scene kid in 2010 and 2011, like most kids in the scene at that point. I had no concept of the industry or how anything worked. I really wanted to know, but I had no idea. I took every bro in a band and put him on a pedestal. If you were a fan around that time, you know what I mean. I mean, you most likely did the exact same thing. There was an innocence there, and a part of me wishes I could get some of that back. I just appreciated music in a different way before I knew the ins and outs of everything behind the scenes, and then I started working in the industry and learned that bullshit just oozes from every corner you'll find. And it doesn't matter what genre. I've worked in rock, metal, country, hip-hop. It's all a big game, and some people genuinely love playing. I hate it. I'm just here to watch from the outside now and analyze it all. Hunter Moore, on the other hand, loved to play the game, but he played a different one than most any of us on the media side did. To be honest, though, in some foundational ways, it was actually kind of similar. Page views equal ad impressions. Ad impressions equal money. Get website traffic. Analyze the traffic to see how to get more. Rinse and repeat. I'm not sure if he was actually addicted to money or sex, but when you don't have a moral compass, it makes doing pretty much anything that much easier. And I think that's what it comes down to with Hunter. I was talking with Rabob trying to figure out back when I started researching for the episode and how the hell he got into what he did. And that's how she laid it out to me. We convince people to click on things for a living. That's what we do. And for a little over two years, so did Hunter. But he did whatever it took. And I mean whatever it took. And it wasn't in the underdog movie inspirational way. It was a much more sinister interpretation of that. But I don't want to give him the satisfaction of building him up as this villain movie character that you kind of end up rooting for at some point, because that's how he had always wanted to be seen. The TLDR is that he's just a shitty dude that did a lot of fucked up things. But the extra layer that nobody talks about is how the scene didn't shun him or what he stood for, it actually leaned into it and helped prop him up. 
All right, so before we get into everything, I wanna lay some foundation for the dive. So Hunter released a book, if that's what you wanna call it, in 2017 that was essentially supposed to be an autobiography called Is Anyone Up? The Story Behind Revenge Porn. But it's completely unedited and reads literally like a hundred some odd page text message. I mean, spelling errors, wrong tenses, most Reddit posts are written better than this thing is. But he details a lot of the site's history, and by the end of the thing, he was definitely just tired of writing because it literally just ends out of nowhere. Some of what he says is backed up through reference points, like in his public appearances and the mainstream press he received, like the infamous Village Voice piece. But it's really just difficult to separate fact from fiction with this guy. So with that being said, I'm gonna be referencing his book throughout the entire dive, just like I did during the Victory Records episode with the former VP's expose on Tony Brummel. But like I said, a lot of this stuff is based exactly on his words, so who knows what's actually true and what isn't. I also wanna advise a content warning in advance because some of this stuff gets really intense and his quotes are the furthest thing from being politically correct. All right, so from what I can find, Hunter Moore was born in California in 1986. He was supposedly expelled from a private Christian school and then eventually dropped out of high school altogether. And the Rolling Stone piece that we'll get into more later, the writer speaks to his mother, Jeanette, Here's an excerpt from the article that explains Moore's upbringing. I call up Moore's mom, Jeanette, who sounds both surprisingly sane and unsurprisingly baffled by her son's career. The day Moore was born, there was such a huge storm that it ripped the barn door off the farm they were living in at the time. Maybe that explains things, Jeanette thinks. She wants me to know that Moore's older sister was a missionary, that, quote, were normal people. He had a normal upbringing. Good at sports, lots of friends, weekends spent hunting with dad, but Moore was never normal. You couldn't intimidate him. You could tell him he had to wear pants and he'd hide under his bed. You could forbid him to get a tattoo and he'd get your face inked on his arm. But then again, he could be so sweet, so funny, so full of charisma. Quote, unless you had a kid like this, you couldn't understand, Jeanette says. Now she's just, quote, hoping this crazy life warps into something else. So there you go. I mean, Christian, conservative upbringing, and Hunter had a personal revolt into basically the exact opposite. But he does know his way around a cordial conversation. I mean, when needed, he could put a face on for people. And I do think that that intuition came from whatever he retained from his parents in his childhood. But anyway, so school didn't work out. And then he basically went straight into trying to figure out how to make money. According to him, his first business venture was a t-shirt company. Then at some point, he started an online community for players of the video game Diablo 2, and then a party promotional company. When he was 18, he became a part-time hairstylist for a fetish porn website. Then at some point, either during or after that, the biggest twist of irony in Hunter's entire story hits. He won a $250,000 settlement from a sexual harassment lawsuit at a retail job he had. But we can't even say that was where he got the money and personal stability to make his anyone up. Because once he got the money, he went to Europe and Japan and eventually settled in Australia for a year all just to party. And he chose Australia because, according to a direct quote from him in his Rolling Stone piece, they party super hard there. 
Eventually, he miraculously ran through all of his settlement money and was broke again. But that wasn't the only reason he came back to the US. He had gotten scabies while he was in Australia. He tells a ridiculous, completely graphic story of his scabies in his book that I will spare you of in this episode. But if you decide to read it, don't say I didn't warn you. So he comes back, gets his scabies treated, and is broke. He actually told the Owl in 2011 that he was near suicide at this point. Here's his quote. I'd never been so close to killing myself before. I had no money and was in serious debt. I went from the highest point in my life to the lowest. I just fucked up. No one that age should get that much money. So there are these moments of clarity throughout Moore's story that gives you a glimpse into how he realizes that what he does is wrong, but he does them anyways, which some people would say is the most dangerous kind of narcissist. Here's what he says in his book about this point. I spent every dollar I had won from my sexual harassment settlement on partying all over the world and I had come back to my parents' house. I was miserable. I didn't go get my cosmetology license after graduating from beauty school and I had forgotten all the state board procedures I learned. Couldn't even afford to buy a DVD set to teach me again as a refresher and was too ashamed to ask my parents for the $190 or whatever it was for the DVD discs. I went from living like a king to living at home and hardly being able to pay basic bills like my phone bill or even get gas. I had no education and no money. I knew I wanted to do something big, but I just didn't know what to do. After this, he starts a sex party company that put together, quote, gay parties, gangbangs, all types of shit. But he eventually sold it because he was, quote, worried because it was almost prostitution. And then we arrive at Is Anyone Up? Moore's initial idea for the site was a blog where he would document his nightlife adventures and review clubs and so on. He borrowed $200 from a friend to pay for the domain for a year in advance and posted a couple random times on it, but eventually wiped the entire thing. It sat dormant for about six months. And then at some point, he was sleeping with a woman and one of his friends wanted to see photos of her naked. Here's the story of how Is Anyone Up started, straight from Hunter's book. I remember my friend Lally at the time wanted to get on iChat to see pictures of this girl I was fucking. Her name was, fuck, what was her name? I think it was Evelyn or something like that. She was dating or engaged to some semi-famous MySpace band dude. Quick sidebar here. He's told this story multiple times, but from what I can find has never said what band the guy was in. All right, back to it. She had an amazing body, kind of a horse face, but it didn't matter. Her body was on point. She'd be that girl on Instagram now with 500,000 followers taking pictures of her ass with a booking email in her bio. What do they even book those girls to do anyway? It has to be some low key escort ho shit. Okay, back to the story. Lally wanted to see this girl's nudes. I was like, all right, man, let me mob upstairs and get my MacBook. So we get on iChat and we are camming and talking shit. And I didn't want him to save the nudes. On iChat, you can drag and drop an image so everyone in the cam session can see the picture but can't save it. So I did that and it wouldn't work. So we did the whole restart and reconnect bullshit like 10 times. So I was like, yo, let me get my phone and email them to him or something. This was before the iPhone would let you picture text. Remember that bullshit? So fucking stupid. So I get downstairs and as I'm walking back up the stairs after grabbing my phone, Lally told me he didn't want them in his email because his girlfriend would check and get mad and he wanted to save them. 
I was wondering how I was going to show him the pictures and was about to give up and I remembered Is Anyone Up and how it was on a WordPress blog. Not the free WordPress, but the plugin for your server. Whatever, it's nerd shit. No one even knew what the site was or would ever know the site existed but us. So I posted them on there and a few days later he posted some other girl he fucked that I wanted to see naked and then I added a few more and he added more and so on and so on. I started telling a few other friends about it and they all started adding to it. I told Wildcat Kevin about the site and he went fucking insane and posted bitches like a madman. We only would put first names and sometimes he would write funny shit about them. There was no search function, nothing. It was just for the homies. All right, end quote. So that is how Is Anyone Up all started. And that was in the latter half of 2010. For the first month or so, it was just between Hunter and his close friends. Hunter says posting on the site within his circle slowed by Christmas time 2010 due to the holidays, but one day around then he randomly checked the site's traffic analytics and saw that it had received 14,000 page views just that day. Then he had to deal with server issues. The first hosting company he was with took the site down because it was porn. So he found a different host that would keep the site up with the amount of traffic he was getting at that point. He'd go through hosting issues the entire time he was running the site, continually bouncing from one hosting company to another. In his book, he claims the only concern he had from the beginning was making sure the people that were posted on the site were 18 or older. It was also around this time that he changed the site to submission-based content that only he approved. But legally, he was in the clear because it was still just user-submitted content. And back then, there weren't any laws concerning any of this stuff. A lot of what we have in the US today in regards to revenge porn came because of the stuff that Hunter did. But back then, it was the same concept as, say, Facebook and the things people post there and how Facebook isn't necessarily liable for them. Just because it was sexual in nature didn't change anything as long as they were of age. And if he would have continued just doing this or doing what he said he was doing, he probably never would have been arrested for anything or not until they passed laws changing all of this stuff. But he pushed the limits too far and we'll get to that in a few. But it took Hunter a little while to start growing the site again. He says it hovered around eight to 9,000 paid views a day for months. He eventually tried to add more aggressive ads on the site and ended up making around $500 off of pretty ridiculous porn ads, but didn't like the way they looked or made the site feel, so he took them off. But he says the next time the site grew was when he started posting nude photos of dudes. According to him, that basically doubled his daily traffic to around 16,000 to 20,000 hits a day. It was also around then that he started adding GIF reactions underneath the nudes and people seemed to like that extra sadistic layer of comedy that it added. So it's around February 2011 at this point, about two months from when he realized he could actually start making money from it. He threw this party with a few friends, alcohol, drugs, sex, pictures posted to the website, the whole nine yards, and somewhere around 48 hours later, Hunter wakes up, goes to get the mail, notices a van outside his house, he's down by the side of the road, and a bunch of women jump out of it and start running towards him. They get to him and start punching him and kicking him, and then all of a sudden back off. Then a dude gets out of the van, looks at Hunter, laughs and gets back in the van and takes off. Hunter, trying to process what just happened, looks over and sees a pen stuck into his shoulder with blood coming out. One of the women stabbed him with a pen. 
He later learned it was one of the girls from the party that he had slept with and posted pictures of. According to him, her whole family came and basically jumped him and then stabbed him. He went to the hospital afterwards, got stitches for it, and then went home and posted about it on the website. The site was the only thing he was concerned about. He was looking at anything and everything to turn into content, and it worked. People ate up his little blogs and stories he would post. It grew the lore of him and his anyone up, which soon led to NBHNC, which stands for No Butthole, No Care. There really isn't much of a story behind it. Hunter saw a user commented under a picture one day and then it literally just spread from there. That's honestly how a lot of Hunter's rise can be explained. He just fell into a bunch of stuff and he admits some of that in the book. After this, he was actually preparing to shut the site down though. He wasn't making enough money for one, to pay for the server bill, let alone sustain himself personally, and two, to justify the way it portrayed him around the party and club scenes that he was frequenting. He had a whole rollout plan to shut it down, but then a dude who managed some scene bands, which Hunter doesn't name any of, meets with Hunter, Hunter tells him how much traffic the site is getting, and the dude tells him he should be making at least 10 grand a month just off the site and Hunter was only making around 200 bucks at that point. So this dude basically gets the business side of Is Anyone Up put together. He got Hunter hooked up with merch, which was run through District Lines. Their first shirt just said, I saw you naked on isanyoneup.com. Business-wise, it was perfect. But again, we're back to the moral compass. I mean, it's really easy to make money when you don't have one. And sure as shit, I mean, they sold like hotcakes. The manager guy apparently even fronted the bill for the servers that first month just to keep the site up because they were about to make so much money. But the next part is what really catapulted his anyone up and attached it to the scene forever. Band bro nudes. And the first one was all-time low bassist Zach Merrick. Here's how Hunter recalled the moment in his book. We had been selling shirts for a few weeks and the site was actually making money and little did I know the site was about to change forever. I was going through submissions and there it was, Zach Merrick from All Time Low. I had no fucking idea who All Time Low was at the time. They were apparently like the new Fall Out Boy or something. You know how those pop punk bands kind of rotate every few years. So the picture is of this emo dude holding his dick or whatever. The girl who submitted him had been on the site too. She had posted her Twitter link and left him a cute little message she wanted posted with it. Maybe he posted her on the site before and she found out, so she posted him or something. I was never really sure, nor did I give a fuck. I posted him and that was it. That was the first time Is Anyone Up started trending on Twitter. That dude's dick brought in so much traffic, it shut the site down. The server just couldn't handle it. We were starting to get a ton of scene traffic, but this just sealed the deal now that the mainstream bandwagon, mall, hot topic, scene kids knew what the site was. End quote. So after this, Zach and his girlfriend try to get Hunter to take down the photo, which Hunter claims he was going to do, but Zach started talking too much shit, so he just left it up. Apparently, ATL were on tour at the time, and people were sneaking pics with Zach in person while wearing the I Saw You Naked on IsAnyoneUp.com shirt, and then posting those photos on the site. But after this, the floodgates opened, and Banbro nudes came rushing in, and so did the traffic. According to Hunter, male nudes brought in way more traffic over the site's history than female nudes. In his book, he talks about a few specific instances involving band bros. One with the now convicted pedophile Ian Watkins from Lost Profits that I'm not even going to go into because it's literally just too much. 
But he talks about Josh from A Day to Remember, who, as most of you know, has been accused of sexual assault, as well as Jesse Lacey from Brand New. Here's a brief recap of these stories directly from the book. Quote, I get home and Lally texts me and says he has these girls who want to post these two guys but wanted to talk to me first. One was the ex-girlfriend of Josh from A Day to Remember and the other was the ex from the singer of Brand New. The girl who dated the guy from Brand New said she was the reason the guy wrote all of these songs and all this other bullshit to feel important. I didn't realize the drama that this was about to start over this whole thing. So Morgan, the ex of Josh from A Day to Remember, posts him and the site crashes with all the traffic and we went trending on Twitter again. I waited about a day and then the ex of the singer from Brand New got posted and again we went trending. It was just mayhem for the site and for Kyle, my server guy, having to deal with the server. This was the first time as anyone up was getting into pop culture and somewhat famous people were being posted. We had our first press from some shitty blogs and random celebrity sites picked up the story of the band guys being posted. End quote. That's the extent he talked about Jesse and Brand New. But it is interesting how people just forget about this stuff. Because there are even message boards out there that you can still get to through archive machines that show people were talking about his weird-ass Skype shit from the mid-2000s when it happened. Okay, and then there was Josh from A Day to Remember. Josh was everywhere on Is Anyone Up after Hunter posted Josh's first nudes. Hunter had sparked a bit of a beef with A Day to Remember once he posted Josh's nudes on the site. Afterwards, there was the infamous Bamboozle incident, so both Hunter and A Day to Remember were going to be at Bamboozle 2011. Remember, ADTR were on the What Separates Me From You cycle at this point, and just skyrocketing into the stratosphere of scene popularity, even with a few breakout looks. So ADTR is there to obviously perform, and they were one of the larger acts on the bill, although the headliners were fucking Lil Wayne, Motley Crue, and Wiz Khalifa. But Hunter was there to sell as anyone up merch. In his book, he says he ordered 5,000 condoms to hand out for free. He got into a back and forth with Jeremy McKinnon, exchanging threats of a fight, and then Hunter claims ADTR went to Bamboozle and said either they don't let Hunter into the festival or they'll bounce and not perform. Obviously, the festival organizers chose to ban Hunter. It ended up trending on Twitter that night, and Hunter ultimately took it as a W just because people were talking about the site. So at this point, the rift between him and ADTR is at a peak. That summer, ADTR headlined Warp Tour. On August 4th, at which point this tour still had over a week's worth of dates left, Hunter Moore posted basically a bulletin on Is Anyone Up titled, a day to remember used to rape girls, now they beat them. Remember the girl Hunter mentioned as Josh's ex in the excerpt from this book? She comes back into the storyline here. So here's what Hunter's post read. I'm just going to read it word for word. Quote, I said I wasn't going to post about a day to remember anymore, but after Josh Woodard, he lists Josh's phone number, physically assaulted a friend of mine at the Florida Warp Tour event a few days ago, I decided to say fuck it and post this story. Morgan wrote and sent an email to Kevin Lyman, who owns slash runs the Warp Tour event, who has kicked bands off the tour for much less, couldn't even respond to her email. No one deserves what happened to her. It's funny because Jeremy called me a month or more ago begging me to stop posting about him and his band. Kevin Lyman also banned Is Anyone Up from selling merch at our own tent or sharing a tent with someone else because our content was too extreme. 
but still employs a man who I posted about a month before the event about tricking a 15-year-old girl into having sex with her idols. The girl's parents contacted me asking if I could make a post about this to bring attention to a data member's day-to-day acts. You can search for the post using the search on the site under a data member. I'll put the link here ASAP. Kevin Lyman has ignored my emails slash calls from Morgan, myself, and friends about this. Maybe you can try. And then he lists Kevin's phone number. Morgan posted the email she sent Kevin on her Facebook for her friends and family to know about the situation. So I screen capped it here for you guys. There is a police report and she has a restraining order pending against Josh Woodard. Okay, so that's what Hunter wrote. And here's the screenshot of Morgan's Facebook post, which was made as a note, and that's one of Facebook's old posting features. Here's what she wrote. I attended the Warp Tour date in Orlando, Florida this past Friday, and it was honestly one of the worst nights of my entire life. Everything started out fine as I spent the day hanging out with friends and watching different bands play. I have several friends that are on the tour as well, and as day turned into night, I attended the barbecue and roamed around most of the night with a few of my close friends. As bus call neared, I began to say my goodbyes and get ready to leave, and made my way out to the street in front of where many of the buses were parked. As I was talking to a few of my friends, I noticed several full beer cans and bottles being thrown in my direction. At first, I was confused and thought people were just goofing around until I realized they were coming from a data remembers tour bus. Josh Woodard is my ex-boyfriend and we've had quite a rocky relationship, so I wasn't totally surprised when I realized what was going on. Finally, I realized that ADTR's tour manager, I don't know his name, as well as a few of their techs were throwing beer bottles directly at me. Luckily, they hadn't hit me yet. However, they hit both of my girlfriends that were standing with me, bruising both of them. Even worse, several of these bottles were broken in half, which would have severely injured us had they hit us. I began to get upset at this point and walked around to the side of the bus to take cover. When all of a sudden, Josh ran up to me and got about two inches away from my face. He began screaming obscenities at me, such as, quote, how many dicks did you suck tonight? And, quote, how many band guys did you fuck tonight? And, quote, the only memories I have of you anymore are of me fucking you because that's all you were ever good for. He also threatened me, telling me that if I showed my face at another Warp Tour date, I'd, quote, severely regret it. I stood there crying until he was done, at which point he spit directly in my face. One of ADTR's techs, David Adkinson, also ran up right after that and spit in my face, getting it into my eye. Having quite enough at this point, I ran away crying and found my friends and we began walking away to our car. As we were walking away, another bottle was thrown at us and this time it hit me directly in the back. The next day, I filed a police report against Josh and I've since hired an attorney. Currently, I'm in the process of filing for a restraining order and I plan on pressing charges. I have never been so appalled in my life, not only at Josh's behavior, who is representing your entire tour as the headlining act, but also as the individuals they employ. Their actions were utterly repulsive. I did not provoke harassment in any way other than the fact that I was there socializing with other guys, which must have sparked Josh's actions. I've never been so humiliated, let alone verbally slash physically assaulted in my entire life. I don't feel safe attending your tour anymore, which is depressing as I've been going since I was 14 years old. I have several witnesses, including my girlfriends, who were innocent bystanders during this whole ordeal. I wanted to give you the opportunity to remedy this serious situation before I take my story to the press. I expect a reply ASAP. I urge you to do the right thing. If you need to get in touch, feel free to call me at, she listed her number here, but even Hunter blocked that out, or send me an email at this address. 
Thanks. Now, Hunter never mentions this in his book. I mean, if you read the book, you can tell there is a lot that he left out, but this just feels like something he would have spoken on considering he has a whole chapter in the book on A Day to Remember, and I don't think he called out too many bands or people like this, if anyone else ever at all. He told plenty of people to fuck off, but he's accusing people of rape and assault here. Now, this specific page on the site was scraped 12 times before the site was deleted. I was able to dig it up through an archive machine. Most of the scrapes have the byline as anonymous, but if you go to the first scrape on August 4th, 2011, it says Hunter, not anonymous. That's how I found out that he wrote it. So I'm not sure if he manually took his name off of this specific post or at some point just deleted his entire byline from the site and everything that he wrote just got reverted to anonymous. Now, like I said earlier, most of you are probably aware of Josh being accused of sexual assault last year. This was nearly a decade before that. It's the earliest accusation against Josh that I've been able to find, but looking back through the Is Anyone Up website and the people that have talked about it in the years since, Josh seems to be a pretty solid common denominator name that continually pops up. I'll link to the archived page of everything that I just read on the Is Anyone Up website about the 2011 allegations on Twitter and in the Facebook group for anyone interested. All right, so let's talk about the industry side of the scene finally and is anyone up and how they related. Band dudes were on the site basically every single day at this point, and the labels were ready to make some money off of it. So many of them took out ads on the site. Artery, Century Media, Bullet Tooth, and so on. If you go and look at Hunter's blog post about ADTR, you can see GIF ads on the sidebar for Attila's Outlawed, which had come out on Artery, and Sariana's Inheritors. They were a metalcore band on Bullet Tooth. So Bullet Tooth was started by a guy named Josh Grable. Josh ran Trustkill Records and later formed Bullet Tooth out of that. Trustkill had a bunch of really cool early 2000s metalcore and post-hardcore bands like Bleeding Through, 18 Visions, Hopes Fall, and even Bullet For My Valentine for a minute. But it's a bit of a low-key Victory Records type story. Tons of bands have accused Josh of not paying them and just general sketchy business practices. Bleeding Through, Throwdown, Memphis Mayfire, who I'll circle back to in a sec here, Terror, Poison the Well, and others. So during the point that Is Anyone Up is active, Josh is running Bullet Tooth and buying ads on the site. But some members of bands on the label are getting their nudes leaked on the site. So the LA Times runs this piece titled Rockers, fully exposed on Is Anyone Up? And Josh is the lead interview in that piece. Here are the first few paragraphs. Josh Grable did what any responsible label head would when he found out one of his artists on his roster of Bullet Tooth Records was pictured naked online. Grable warned the young drummer, then sent a cease and desist letter to Hunter Moore, the owner of the amateur nudity site Is Anyone Up? These are good, wholesome, Christian kids, Grable said. The drummer was freaked out. I was freaked out. The kid is 19. Grable finally got the photos removed and was prepared to do the same for two other bullet tooth acts that appeared on the site. But to Grable's surprise, his artist said, don't bother. One of those bands that declined was Deception of a Ghost. I think it can only help, said group guitarist Buddy Dameron. His bandmate appears nude on the site, and Dameron said it's been nothing but positive exposure for the act. People who haven't heard of us have seen that. If you were talking about Taylor Swift, then yes, it would be a problem. But for a rock and roll band, I don't see it being an issue. 
Okay, so I dug back through Bullet Tooth's entire roster during 2011 and 2012. At first, I thought the Christian band Josh referred to was Memphis Mayfire. They were never outright Christian, but definitely had some themes early on, and even later. I mean, Maddie has released multiple solo worship albums, but I'm not 100% sure it was them. Some timeline things don't line up exactly right. I mean, they had a drummer switch right at the beginning of 2010, and I just can't confirm it. But regardless, Josh gets interviewed for this piece, and so do quite a few other people in the industry that gave some wild quotes looking back. Here's another from Grable. Grable, whose independent Bullet Tooth is based in Tinton Falls, New Jersey, has bought ad space on Is Anyone Up, as have other small labels like this. Would I like a site like this to not exist? Yes, he said, but it does exist, and this is the world we live in. I'm marketing to kids aged 16 to 30, and that's the site they're going to. I know that because I cannot go anywhere, anywhere, without this site being brought up. Here's a paragraph on Ray Rolden, who has run his PR company Raby for years and has had tons of scene bands on his roster. Rock publicist Ray Rolden has seen a significant portion of his roster appear on Is Anyone Up? And he said, quote, there have been a few times, end quote, in which he was able to turn leaked nude photos of an unknown band into a story. Long-term ramifications? They'll worry about those later, if at all. Here's a bit from Melissa Green, who was in The Millionaires. On Warp Tour, when you're in a band and you drink, you show these photos to your friends as a joke, said The Millionaires 22-year-old singer Melissa Marie Green, who's in a band with her sister Allison. The Huntington Beach electro-pop duo specializes in sexually suggestive lyrics. When you're in a band, you understand why these pictures are up. To the general public, it might be extreme, but to people in the industry, it's not uncommon. Green is not nude on Is Anyone Up, but said it's likely just a matter of time before anyone submits her. I'm not going to complain about that. Our fans are on this site. This is as big as it can be without being on television, but it's just good for our band. Sex and nudity is becoming a lot more relaxed. In 10 years, everyone will be naked. I mean, when you think about something like OnlyFans nowadays, she literally predicted the future in that quote. Last one. Here's just a paragraph from the Times themselves. The Times contacted 30 non-musicians who appeared naked on Is Anyone Up but received no responses. Most artists and labels contacted for this story declined to discuss the site on the record, including advertisers Century Media and Razor and & Tie. Okay, so <laughs> labels bought ads on Is Anyone Up. Publicists leaned into the narratives of Banbro nudes. What else? Let's talk about Is Anyone Up tours. There was one that Is Anyone Up sponsored for Demolisher and Defiler, and another one called the Mosh It Up Tour with Molotov Solution, Legend, Betrayal, and The World We Knew. One of the guys from The World We Knew is a YouTuber now who goes by the name Wang, W-H-A-N-G, and did a pretty solid deep dive video on Hunter and the site in 2019 and talks about that specific tour. But Legends was on Rise, Molotov's label was licensing their music through Rise, Betrayal was on Media Scare, and then no bragging rights even ended up hopping on a few dates on this tour. Here's what Hunter had to say about the industry helping prop up Is Anyone Up in his book. Everything with scene bands started popping off. Record labels started buying ad space. Bands started submitting their songs to be posted on the site. Other bands and rappers were begging for the site to sponsor them. It was seriously out of fucking control. 
But here's where it came full circle for me personally. And this isn't a quote, this is me. And I finally had every detail of this specific story. All right, so earlier, remember earlier this year when I did a deep dive on drugs? We talked about Craig Owens having his Hollywood gossip blog moment with Ashley Simpson right after she and his label owner and now ex-BFF Pete Wentz had just separated. And then there was the Sex Life music video. So to promote the video, Craig and Drugs' old label, Decadance, which Pete Wentz ran, quote-unquote, leaked a fake sex tape of Craig with a woman. The one thing I didn't realize when I made the episode is that in order to leak the tape, the label went to Hunter and basically planned a rollout of it on Is Anyone Up? Here's what he said about it in the book. Then my boy comes to me asking if I'd help promote this band Drugs' new album. It was the dude from Chiodos and another dude in From First to Last and a bunch of other semi-mainstream bands were putting this band together. As long as I got paid and they brought traffic to the site, I was down. We work out everything with their label and they send us this fake sex tape with that dude from Chiodos. I wasn't down at first. My manager had to talk me into it. We needed the money for the server because I had spent a ton of money on flights and real drugs. I had taken the first half of the merch check for myself to party with. It was the first time I had a few grand in my pocket since I spent all the lawsuit money. I just hated cheesy ads or anything fake in general. I didn't want it to hurt the reputation of the site by posting a shitty promotional video for a one-time payday. I ended up caving and let it be posted. Of course, everyone went nuts on Twitter and Facebook about that dude from Chiodos having a sex tape. We let it go for a few days and teased about posting the rest of it in a few weeks, or maybe it was days. I don't really remember, but we just built hype. Eventually, we posted the full video, and I felt shitty for tricking everyone and told myself I'd never do something like that again. I got so much shit for doing that from the community and the fans. I remember being kind of pissed because those band dudes never gave the site any love or even tweeted about the video. Fuck those fools. I'm googling them right now and see what they look like. Oh my god, time is not very friendly. I guess they're not a band anymore. Sad. Jesus Christ, this is depressing. 30-somethings with seen hair and a receding hairline. End quote. First off, like I said at the beginning of this episode, this book literally reads like a hundred some odd page text message. It's kind of just a full stream of consciousness. Second, you can just imagine those dumbasses, Craig Owens and the bros at the label sitting around like, hey, you know what would be insane? Let's leak a fake sex tape in order to promote our music video. Like just imagine how many people signed off on the whole fucking idea and then actually saw it through. Anyways, I'm, this is, I'm not doing this on the last episode of Note to Scene for this era and going down another Craig Owens rabbit hole. Okay, so by the end of 2011, Hunter was doing full-on mainstream press. He did a pretty infamous Anderson Cooper interview that aired on TV. According to Hunter, it was basically a setup. He goes on and on about the entire thing, but the TLDR of it is that they invited him on the show and asked him if he could get people who had been posted on the site to come as well. He gets a girl he knows and one of his buddies. They fly them out separately because apparently it's against the show's policy to have the guests fly together. So he gets there. They make him wear all black to make him look like a villain. There are two women on set with Cooper who had been posted on the site, one of them being the one that Hunter reached out to to get to come, which he claims submitted herself to be posted on the site and then said on the show that getting posted on the site was the worst thing that ever happened to her. Then they brought out his other friend he got to come on the show and said they covered up all his tattoos with makeup. 
And afterwards, he gets in contact with the girl he was friends with, who supposedly submitted herself to the site after everything, and apparently she admitted they gave her and the other girl a script of exactly what to say and said she would get paid another $500 after the show was over. And then he claims he had sex with her that night. So where do you even go from there? That's literally how this entire research process for this episode has been. I mean, it's just, you don't know what to believe. Okay, so our daytime talk shows, basically reality TV and everything is planned out in advance. Absolutely. They are just middle America, you know, housewife bait. And they work. That's why they still exist after all these years. But I also have literally no idea if what Hunter says is true or not. So do with all of this information what you will. Okay, then there were the songs. Eskimo Cowboy, you may have heard of this band actually in recent years. They used to be more of a party core band that sounded like early Asking Alexandria. Their first notable song and still kind of, I don't know, maybe still their biggest song, they released a crab core track called Is Anyone Up? Here's what it sounded like. on the dance floor revenge porn i don't even like saying that band name became basically the site's theme song at one point millionaires remixed the ludicrous song my chick bad and referenced is anyone up in it a super small neon band called forget me vegas had a song called is anyone up that was about the site so for about two years or so at the turn of the decade is anyone up honestly just slowly infected nearly everything in the scene's underbelly whether people knew it or not so Hunter does some more larger press in early 2012, a pretty infamous village voice piece where he says some wild shit for a normal person, but it's just pretty on par for him. That piece ran on April 4th, 2012. Hunter showed no signs of wanting to stop the site in it. But then just over two weeks later, he sold Is Anyone Up to James McGibney, who owns a website called Bullyville.com, as well as others called Cheaterville and Cupidville. James had come under some fire in previous years for his own content, like that on Cheaterville, where people could anonymously expose their unfaithful significant others. Everything after this point, if this shit before wasn't a shit show, everything after this was just very odd. I mean, Bullyville was a website where people could anonymously share their stories of being bullied. Hunter had just gone in on that village voice piece and literally said people who commit suicide because of being bullied are, quote, weak-minded. Both Hunter and James released statements. Here's Hunter's first. It's been a little over a year from the first post on Is Anyone Up? And it's crazy to think that the few posts I did with my friends to get back at a few girls that broke our hearts would turn into what it did. I started the site with $0. I had negative 20 in my bank account and had to ask my mom for her credit card to pay the $9 server bill. Running this site has been an uphill battle to say the least, from the server company's bills to the lawyers taking people's money promising they could get your images down to Facebook, PayPal, Live Nation, a data remember, and the countless others who have tried to shut me down, beat me up, or the girl who stabbed me. And yet, 
we are still here. This site was started for the scene and I tried to keep it that way as long as I could by supporting bands and giving them reasonable prices on ad space. The bills were getting too insane and I had to turn to the porn game for extra money, but it's too shady and in my opinion, it ruined the site. That and my appearance on Anderson Cooper didn't help. The site was a blessing for me and still is, but I am bummed out and I honestly can't take another underage kid getting submitted and having to go through the process of reporting it and dealing with all the legal drama of that situation. To everyone who got a tattoo, bought a shirt, wrote on your body, self-submitted, or came out to a party, I truly thank you for the support. Without your support, the site would not have been what it was. To all the girls who submitted those band guys and to all the guys who submitted the groupies, you made the internet fun again. We got NBHNC trending on Twitter, bands to make music videos about us, and a lifetime ban from me on Facebook. Since we launched AsAnyoneUp.com a year ago, we received over 500 million page views. Girls got naked of all sizes at the IAU parties. We did it from Canada to Vegas. You made it possible for me to have the best life and also made me realize what people will do for an extra friend request and followers on Twitter. I'll miss a lot of things, but mostly the community. I never got to take in everything while it was happening because it was going so fast, even though there was drama and lots of tears and pissed off parents. I feel blessed and thankful for all of you who came here to support me. I've become friends with the founder of Bullyville, Cupidville, Cheaterville, and Karmaville, and he helped me realize that my talents in the programming and social networking world could be channeled in a positive way, and we spoke about ways to move on, which is ultimately what I've decided to do. I might do some writing on Bullyville.com to help people who have been bullied. I've been on both sides of the fence. I am putting this message on Bullyville.com to stand up against underage bullying. I think it's important that everyone realizes the damage that online bullying can cause. I would love to write everything here, but I can't. I'll miss you all, but once you're on page two, nobody cares anymore. I also have a new project at www.wepartyforacause.net. This will be all about me organizing parties that benefit different charities. These will be some of the largest and craziest parties you will ever see with a percentage of earnings going to a range of causes. Okay, so obviously there is a lot to unpack there and we'll get to it in a minute, but here's James' statement. I'd like to begin by commending Hunter Moore for having the courage to write this letter, knowing that he's going to face a massive amount of negativity for doing so. I've known Hunter for quite some time now, and the fact of the matter is that he's a very smart guy. While he has been misguided, he is very astute and socially observant. His ability to not only capture the attention of young people, but to spur them into action as well is truly unique in an era where social media makes it so easy to be a passive consumer of information. After spending some time with him, Hunter realized that isanyoneup.com became the exact bullying he created the site to retaliate against. One of my companies, Cheaterville.com, is constantly accused of bullying. I disagree, as do the millions of people who use it as a free service. Cheaterville.com provides a public service to people by warning them about the narcissistic and predatory individuals who use online dating sites to find innocent victims. The dating market is a marketplace like any other, and it is improved by information, including data on people who claim they are single when they are in fact married, have kids, or in some instances, conceal an STD. I'm sure I will have to deal with public blowback just as much as Hunter will, but I can sum up this whole ordeal quite simply. Isanyoneup.com served no public good. That is why it is offline. There are millions of women and men who are thankful that isanyoneup.com is no longer online. Lawyers and massive companies have tried unsuccessfully to remove it from the internet. Bullyville was able to work with Hunter to get this done. 
Telling someone that they're doing something wrong but refusing to help them make it right doesn't solve anyone's problem. Through cooperation though, the problem of isanyoneup.com is now solved. In its place, bullyville.com will exist to help people who are being bullied solve their problems through cooperation and thoughtfulness rather than abuse. He also added a notice at the end of this, which read, Bullyville.com, its parent ViaView Inc., and other corporate parents, the affiliates, have purchased only the domain name and did so in order to shut the site down and to put an end to its ignoble activities. We have not assumed any right, interest, ownership, control, or responsibility for any content previously accessible or displayed on isanyoneup.com, and expressly disclaims the same. Do not submit photographs to us as we disagree with the prior site's business model and flatly reject it. The views expressed in Hunter's letter are solely those of the author and do not express the opinions or actions of bullyville.com, its affiliates, counselors, employees, or principals. Okay, so the bottom line here is that at this point, is anyone up is officially done. According to Hunter's tone and the way he has explained what went down, it seems pretty important to him that the site didn't get shut down under his watch. He sold it, then James from Bullyville shut it down. But anyways, the timeline here gets really complicated and twisted for some reason. On April 20th, 2011, the BBC published a piece on Hunter that claimed that the FBI were not investigating him. But earlier that month, on the 4th, in the Village Voice piece, it claimed that Hunter was being investigated by the FBI's Los Angeles Internet Crime Division. His direct quote was, The FBI has been in contact with me. I have nothing to hide. So, the site is down. Hunter spends that summer still owning Twitter because he never stopped DJing and just basically partying. Rolling Stone published their big piece on him in November of 2012, so well after the site had been gone. I don't think people realize that looking back is that Rolling Stone published their piece about six months after isanyoneup.com was gone. But the piece told the tale of basically this farewell DJ tour that Hunter did to say goodbye to the site. The writer actually caught a little flack for basically trying to humanize him while depicting his off-the-walls day-to-day life. Years later, after he got out of prison, he posted a long audio podcast on YouTube about the real quote-unquote story behind the Rolling Stone piece. It is a fucking roller coaster ride, and again, just leaves you like, I don't even know what to believe at this point. But sometime around here is where the FBI raided Hunter's house. He had been traveling, and soon after, he returned home. They were there. I'm sure at that point, he realized he might be in some deeper shit. And now is when we're introduced to Charlotte Laws, the woman who took down Hunter Moore. I know that sentence pisses him off so much. So Charlotte is the mother of Kayla Laws, whose topless photo, along with her name, location, social media accounts, were posted on Is Anyone Up when she was 24. She went to her mother, obviously distraught. She didn't understand how the photo got out. She had saved it in her email and never sent it to anyone. She told people she was hacked, and they didn't believe her. And this is where Hunter got caught. The entire premise of Is Anyone Up was revenge porn. It was user-submitted content. But it turns out, that wasn't all of it. Hunter was paying a guy named Charlie Evans to hack people's emails and steal nudes. Obviously, that negates his entire argument that nobody could touch him due to all the photos on the site being submitted by the users. 
So Charlotte built a case over the course of two years against Moore and Evans. Her first goal was to get her daughter's photo taken down, but even her own husband, who was a lawyer, didn't understand the situation. Charlotte told the Guardian, he said, ignore it, it'll go away. So then she went to the Los Angeles police, who, according to her, basically said that Kayla shouldn't have taken the photo. Then she went to the FBI, who told her that unless there was hacking involved, there were no laws in place to fight against something like Is Anyone Up? 11 days after her talk with the FBI, her husband spoke to Hunter's attorney and revealed the FBI investigation that was going on. The photo then came down. That was a big deal. As I've said earlier in the episode, Hunter did not like to take anyone's photos down. It was like a pride thing to him. If he caved, then he had lost. And again, if he hadn't been caught for paying for hacked photos, there wouldn't have legally been anything wrong with what he was doing at that time. The Guardian's piece on Charlotte's battle against Moore really tried to convey the gravity of the landscape that he had created. Listen to these two paragraphs. For laws, though, it couldn't stop there. There were 50-year-old women on Hunter Moore's site, she said. It wasn't necessarily 20-year-old kids. There was a blind paraplegic, a person of restricted growth. Apparently someone had got hold of nude photos of a woman in a morgue, and there was discussion about, should I post the dead girl or not? I don't think he did in the end, but I'm not sure, end quote. It's hard to pick the worst cases. The teacher who was dismissed from her job after a link to the material was emailed to her head teacher. The woman who had post-surgical medical photographs of her breasts published. They were bloodied and bandaged, and it turned out that her doctor's office had been hacked. Dozens of others, ordinary women, many of them middle-aged, in serious jobs who found that their faces had been photoshopped onto porn actors' bodies. So, on Thursday, January 2014, Hunter Moore was officially arrested, along with Charles Evans, and they were charged with 15 counts, including related to computer hacking, identity theft, and conspiracy. At the time of their arrest, if they were convicted on all charges, they could have faced at least 42 years in prison. I was able to dig up the indictment documents for the case, and there was a lot of details about Hunter and Charlie's communication. Apparently, they got an email that Hunter sent Charlie saying he would pay him $200 a week to hack people's emails. Another email from Charlie to Hunter asked if he could get $250 for six male nudes and six female nudes. Nearly two years following his arrest, on December 2nd, 2015, Hunter was sentenced to two and a half years in federal prison following his guilty plea to one count of unauthorized access to a protected computer to obtain information for purposes of private financial gain and one count of aggravated identity theft. Charlie pleaded guilty to the same two counts and had been sentenced that November to just over two years. Hunter also had to pay a $2,000 fine. But between good behavior and joining a program in prison that can get your sentence reduced, there's an entire podcast interview Hunter did on YouTube explaining this whole experience in the program, but he got his sentence reduced and ended up serving less than two years altogether. Now, post-prison life for Hunter has been even more poorly documented than his post-is-anyone-up life. I'm not sure if he's actually been banned from the internet completely or what the whole deal is. I'm not sure what his restrictions are and aren't. But first things first, he ended up somewhat putting out his book. I don't think physical copies were ever even printed, but you can buy the ebook version on Amazon. 
Now, there is a Twitter account with the handle Hunter Was Dead. It's semi-active and posts pretty random but normal average society content with some is anyone up mentions thrown in. I thought this was actually him. Then, I got an email from someone claiming to be Hunter saying they were randomly searching their name on Twitter and came across my tweets that I had sent out teasing the episode a while back. This person claims that Twitter account is fake and not run by the real Hunter Moore. So then I tried to go through the account to see if I could find anything that would prove that it's fake. The account does semi-frequently post photos of Hunter, most of them selfies that do seem to be fairly recent based off the videos he's posted on his YouTube channel since his release, which means if the account is fake, it's taking photos that Hunter has posted either on another smaller account or its personal, private Facebook or Instagram account or something like that. And I did come across a photo that was posted to the Twitter account earlier this year of Hunter with two other people, but Hunter is missing one of his neck tattoos, which means it's from quite a while ago, and the status acts like the photo is new, not a throwback. So, who knows? I have sunk so much time into this episode, it kind of makes me sick. I mean, between some of the legit stomach-churning stuff Hunter himself wrote about in his book about the super dark parts of running Is Anyone Up to trying to tie his entire fucking storyline together from the point the site was brought down and shut down to his arrest, his sentencing, his release, to now... It's such a gray area with terrible documentation that it's a complete nightmare to try and stick together. But the bottom line is that the scene, you can tell through that interview with the LA Times, uh, there was a lot of the scene, especially the industry side, didn't want to know they were working with as anyone up, but it was there. And they got some people, mostly lower level, you know, bullet tooth, artery, etc. So that gives you a little context of where the industry side of the scene was at during the time of Is Anyone Up. They were ready to prop that shit up and they, I've said it so many times, labels don't care what you buy as long as you buy it from them. They have to make money to stay in business. That's what they are, they're a business. A band is a business, you know? The label relationship with the band is a whole other thing, but it's all boils down to money. And that's why the scene propped Is Anyone Up. I mean, there are things I left out too, like how Mark Zuckerberg tried to take Hunter and Is Anyone Up down himself. I mean, Facebook sent Hunter a cease and desist to remove people's Facebook profile information from anyone who was posted on the site. Hunter responded to the cease and desist with a picture of his penis. And then Mark responded by banning all links from the Is Anyone Up domain from Facebook's platform forever. Then there was this lawsuit from the Bullyville owner about six months after Hunter had sold his anyone up to him. The guy sued Hunter for defamation because at some point they had a pretty fast falling out and Hunter apparently called him a pedophile. I don't think Hunter pursued much of anything that he said he was going to do in that farewell statement on Bullyville.com. He ended up having to pay the Bullyville guy money after the suit was over too. And then there's this part in his book that has nothing to do with Is Anyone Up, but Hunter tells this insane story about Jeffree Star. I'm going to give the TLDR here as best as I can with maybe a few quotes, but I can promise nothing besides reading the whole damn segment of the book would do it complete justice. So Hunter claims that at one point through a series of events, he was with Jeffrey inside Jeffrey's room. Jeffrey pulls out a butcher knife and yells at Hunter to let him suck his dick. Hunter gets pissed and then Jeffrey supposedly pulls out a taser. 
Then one of the girls from the millionaires comes in and settles everything down. Hunter leaves and then gets a text from Jeffrey that is just a smiley face and he sent one back and that was it. He said that's just how their relationship was. Here's the rest of the story word for word from Hunter's book. Again, this is word for word. I'm not paraphrasing here. Here we go. As we are driving, I get a text message from my sidekick. I flip that bitch open and guess who it was? Jeffrey. He sent me a little smiley face, lol. I sent him one back. We had this type of relationship the whole time. He would try and rape and get too touchy and I'd have to get mad. Well, I won't say his name because he's pretty famous now, but another dude I lived with wanted to be famous so bad, Jeffrey pulled the butcher knife out on him and basically raped him with the butcher knife to his throat and then did it to his friend a few weeks later. I don't know, I mean, being a racist drag queen is bad, but when you're out here raping straight dudes with a butcher knife and they usually let you for some sort of clout for their ban, I don't know, man, you got shit sort of fucked up. So, like I was saying, this episode was just a lot to put together and just process overall, and it really underlines how much bullshit has gone on throughout the scene's history. I know my girlfriend is going to be glad that the show is taking a break just because of how pretty much nearly every episode I did, I'd get bummed at some point about some kind of instance of band members just being complete shitheads that I dug up. And sometimes I knew about the situations in advance, but there were others that I didn't know about until I did the show. Like the Seosin members who made that ridiculously racist song, or just in this episode about the connection between Is Anyone Up, Craig Owens, and Pete Wentz. It just seems like no matter what stone I turned over, there was another one with something incredibly shitty underneath it somewhere nearby. And to be honest, with everything that's come out over the last half decade concerning the dark parts of the scene, I guess it only makes sense that historical retellings of it would be littered with just shitty footnotes. But I don't want to end this whole thing on too much of a down note. I mean, I am really proud of a lot of the things we did during this chapter of Note to Scene. We literally brought drugs back just by writing one article about Craig Owen's history. We broke Attack Attack's reunion story. I pissed a few people off with the podcast, and the listenership grew a ton. I mean, shit, NTS evolved into a website and a whole fucking radio show. I can't believe it all started when Matt asked if I thought our text conversations about the scene would make a good podcast. I've said it so many times on the show, but I never thought anyone would want to listen to this thing. But it's been through two iterations now, and I can't thank everyone enough that's tuned in. I wanted a lot more for NTS this time around, but between a global pandemic hitting literally, what, two months into it, and big personal life changes, and sometimes the world just has different plans... But this isn't goodbye. It's just so long, and I'll definitely see you down the road. NTS will be back in some form in the future. To me, it's always going to be like some random scene band from the mid-2000s that barely anyone knew back then, and literally nobody remembers now, but just keeps dropping random music 15, 20 years later because that one member just can't let it go. And I'm okay with that. I want to give a big thanks to Rabob for putting up with all my bullshit every day. I mean, I know we can make this thing live and breathe and be healthy, and I think we'll do it one day. You can follow her day-to-day over at Loudwire. She literally runs the site and the brand. Jake Richardson, Philip Trapp, Devin Hanna, thank you all for writing all that you did for the site and keeping her posting schedule alive. I mean, the site pretty much wouldn't have existed without their contributions. Shelby and Bill for making the radio station a reality. I mean, showing that to my mom was truly one of the coolest things I've gotten to do in my career. 
everyone at Town Square who let us see this thing through and were cool when everything just hit the fan. My better half, Misty, for putting up with me and all the time I spent on this podcast over the last year and even pushing me to finish episodes when I got lazy. As for me, I'll still be posting in the Note to Scene Facebook group from time to time, checking in and seeing what people are talking about. I definitely encourage you all to to go there and, and join whatever you know small community we have in there. I run the Emo Chart Data account on Twitter, and I'll be posting on that daily as much as I can. I mean, it's super easy to maintain, and it's just a fun little experiment. But again, thank you for listening. I can't say it enough. But until the next chapter, stay safe, and I'll talk to you down the road. 